recently. How do you how do you deal with someone who believes we need to be meeting on Saturday rather than Sunday, right? How do you how do you talk for the way we have worship, when we have worship and so forth? So we're going to talk about this today, and it'll probably go into next Sunday. Although next Sunday is the new quarter, beginning of the new quarter, and we're going to start a study on prayer, <coughs> but we may finish this up next Sunday, so that we may wait till the second Sunday in the, in March to start that study. But we'll see. We'll see how it goes. I know I'm, I'm I go fast. Sometimes I'm going to try to go slow, and if I'm getting too fast for you, just raise your hand and say, "Slow down!" All right, and I'll slow down. All right. So, because I want, I want you, I want you to hear this and and uh, ponder it and and put it, you know, go through it in your mind with me, right? So you kind of understand where it's coming from, because uh, this is something that we have to deal with in in modern day. We have folks that have different a different interpretation, a different opinion, perhaps, on this as others. And it's, an inter it's interesting because what we're going to talk a little bit about what we're going to talk about today is a perfect segue from what we've been studying in Galatians. You know, the main premise that Paul is having to deal with in, in the letter to the churches in Galatia was dealing with those t Judaizing teachers, right, who had come in after he had established those churches there and was telling the brethren, the Christians, that they had to be circumcised, that they had to be circumcised and they were still under the law, the law of Moses. And Paul had to deal with that, right? He had to tell them, no, you are now free in Christ Jesus. You now have a liberty, a freedom in Christ Jesus. You now live under the law of love. And we talked about how because of that law, because of that, it's not a law, because of that willingness to, be a, to humble yourself, to turn your life over to Christ, you now work out of your love for him. You now do things out of your love for him. You now walk in the Spirit. And you produce fruit through the Spirit, right? By, by walking in love with, with the Lord, following Him, being a disciple, obeying the commands. That's not done because it's the law. That's done because we are His. We are now living for Him. Therefore, everything we should be doing in our life is based on our love for Him and what He wants us to do. His will, not ours. So that's something he's having to deal with there in, the, in Galatians and we talked a lot about that and of course he got into the uh, concept there toward the end where he said you know you can't continue in the works of the flesh you need to be walking in the spirit producing fruit based on the spirit so we're going to talk about some of that in this study too <coughs> it's going to be a perfect segue turn over to um, the book of Genesis in chapter 2 and we'll read from there to begin with Genesis chapter 2 and uh Read the first couple of verses out of that book. <clears throat> Genesis chapter 2, verse 1, it says, Thus the heavens and the earth and all the, and all the hosts of them were finished. And on the seventh day God ended his work which he had done. And he rested on the seventh day from all his work which he had done. Now notice verse 3, he says, Then God blessed the seventh day and sanctified it, because in it he rested from all his work which God had created and made. All right. There we have it. There we have that seventh day, right? The seventh day of rest where God rested after the six days of creation. And then we have that third verse there where he blessed it, he set it aside, he sanctified it, and he, uh, he because of it, he, he sanctified it because he, in it he rested from all his work which he had created and made. And I want you to remember that verse because we're going to come back to it. 
But the point being in those first two verses, he rested on the seventh day. God created the world in six days. Then at some point, and notice what I'm saying there, he blessed and sanctified the seventh day. Now we have that in verse 3, all right? And so if you're following things chronologically, you would say that's when he did it. And, that, and I'm, I'm not arguing with that, but we're going to show something else here in a minute that's going to help understand what I'm getting at there. The seventh day later became known as the Sabbath day. It's from the Hebrew word Shabbat, meaning to rest from labor, and the English is a transliteration of that word. It's not, an, it's not a translation, you know, like baptism is a transliteration of baptismo, the Greek. Uh, Sabbath is a transliteration of the Hebrew, basically. Uh, in the Greek, it's sabbaton or sabbaton. Like the English, it's also a transliteration. When we're talking about a Sabbath, especially with someone who is trying to understand what it means, what it is exactly, generally you're going to have a few questions, right? And, of course, the first question is going to be, what day of the week was the Sabbath, right? What day was it? Was it a Saturday or Sunday? Or you might have even had some questions. I've heard some people talk about Monday being the Sabbath, which kind of out there, but they try to explain it their way, and I'm not going to get into that today. And then you might have a question, well, <clears throat> are Christians supposed to keep the Sabbath? And then perhaps a third question you've even heard, is Sunday now the Christian Sabbath? In fact, some of you may have used those terms yourself, that Sunday is now the Sabbath day. We're going to get into all of those. The first one is really the simplest to answer. Turn over to Exodus chapter 20. We're going to read something about that Sabbath day. Exodus chapter 20, and if you know what's in Exodus chapter 20, you know that's where the Ten Commandments are laid out. We're going to begin in verse 8. <coughs> chapter 20, verse 8. And he says, Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work. But the seventh day is the Sabbath of the Lord your God. In it you shall do no work, you nor your son, nor your daughter, nor your male servant, nor your female servant, nor your cattle, nor your stranger who is within your gates. Pay attention to that phrase right there. Let me say that again. Nor your stranger who is within your gates. For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea and all that is in them, and rested the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day, and hallowed it. Now, I'm, I'm reading that because I want you to pay attention to what's said. You know, we tend to just spout out the Ten Commandments, right? We say, you know, thou shalt not murder, thou shalt not have other gods before me, thou shalt not kill, thou shalt not steal. Remember Sabbath, keep it holy. But we don't really know what he said there so much, right? There's a lot said in those three verses that we usually don't really get into very much. But I want you to pay attention to that. We're going to come back to that in a little bit. So the Sabbath was a day of rest after the six days of work, right? According to the Jewish reckoning, the seventh day began at sunset on Friday and then continued to sunset on Saturday. And I'm sure if you've studied the resurrection, you know, I mean, you studied the, uh, the crucifixion and resurrection, you know that Jesus was on the cross on Friday. They had to get him down before, right, before sunset because... You know, that's the Sabbath. And so they didn't be doing any work. They couldn't be taking them off the cross on the Sabbath, right? Remember that? This is also the biblical record of the Sabbath. 
And in the, so uh, thus, thusly, the Sabbath in the Bible refers to Saturday, okay, the seventh day. Pretty easy to answer that. We can see that from the Old Testament. We can see that from Scripture. Now, as for the other two questions, we need to consider some things that have been revealed about the Sabbath. And they're not quite as easy, perhaps, to answer. <coughs> I'm going to start off by making a statement here. Did you know, or actually I'm going to make a, ask a question. Did you know that the Sabbath was not commanded of the patriarchs? Huh? What do you mean by that? Well, I never thought about that. Do you know that there was no mention of the Sabbath from Genesis 2, verse 3 to Exodus 15? And that chronologically is from Adam all the way to Moses. Around 2,500 years. There's no mention of a Sabbath day. A Sabbath day that they have to keep. Now keep that in mind. Probably hadn't really thought about that. Right? In fact, it kind of struck me. I hadn't thought about that really. The patriarchs had no command to keep the Sabbath. Interesting. Well, you can say, well, I didn't have the Ten Commandments yet, but but it made sense. There was, you know, maybe God told them we just don't have a record of it. I mean, they would have known you don't murder. They would have known you don't have other gods before me, right? Well, did they? Interesting concept. One thing I want to point to, and it's in your outline here, and you can follow on me with a little bit of it, is what the early Christian writers said about the Sabbath. <laughs> and I'm going to read a little bit here, and we'll get into more of this. Not commanded the patriarch, Justin Martyr was considered the first Christian apologist, right? Justin Martyr was a, uh, he was born into a Greek family in Palestine or Israel. Uh, at the time, around 100 A.D., uh, it, the town he was born in was, I think it's called Nablus or Nablus. It was near Shechem, where we, we know Shechem of. Is, and when we look at a, a map of Bible times, Shechem was in Samaria, okay, between the southern kingdom and, and the northern kingdom, right? And so he was born there, and he's considered the first apologist, Christian apologist, right? He wrote some stuff down, in other words, making the defense for Christianity, uh, and around 150 A.D., he wrote some things to Trypho the Jew. Nobody knows who Trypho the Jew was. Some say that it was probably a fictional character that he used to write to make to, as his style, right? He would write, he's writing to somebody to make a defense, even though that person doesn't actually exist. And one of the things he said was, moreover, all these righteous men already mentioned, after mentioning Adam, Abel, Enoch, Lot, Noah, Melchizedek, and Abraham, Though they kept no Sabbaths, were pleasing to God. And after them, Abraham, with all his descendants, until Moses. And that's taken from his dialogue with Trifle the Jew, from the anti-Nicene fathers. Then there's another Christian writer from the early times. Lived around, he was born around 150 A.D., lived into 220 A.D., somewhere in there. And he, was, he lived in Carthage, which was... Now, in the, it's ancient Carthage is part of Tunisia, which is on the northern Africa coast, North African coast. And one of the things he wrote was to say God originated Adam uncircumcised and inobservant of the Sabbath. Consequently, his offspring also, Abel, offering him sacrifices. Remember, Abel's sacrifice was accepted by God, uncircumcised and inobservant of the Sabbath, was by him commended. Noah also, uncircumcised, yes, and inobservant of the Sabbath. God freed from the deluge. 
Free in it too. Most righteous man, uncircumcised and unobservant of the Sabbath, he translated from this world. Remember, Enoch did not die. He was carried up to heaven. Interesting. Melchizedek also, the priest of the Most High God, uncircumcised and in observant of the Sabbath, was chosen to the priesthood of God. These are from this outline. I want to go a little further to explain some things that Justin Martyr wrote about. <clears throat> now, before I do that, though, but you understand, I don't take, don't think that I'm trying to say Justin Martyr was an inspired writer or Tertullian. These are simply men, Christians who are making defense for the faith. But this I want to show is how they understood the Sabbath day in the first and second century. This is what they're writing about. Mar Justin Martyr goes on or goes so far as to say that since the Sabbath command was not observed before Mosaic law was given, it is proper to conclude that the Sabbath was not an eternal command, nor was it a universal in its application. For Justin Martyr, the Sabbath commands were given to a specific people for a specific reason. He said, God enjoined you to keep the Sabbath on account of your unrighteousness and that of your fathers. He even went on to say, the new law brings with it the command to observe a perpetual Sabbath. In other words, the new covenant believes beliefs should be by believes that we are constantly resting in Christ. This rest is only obtained by repenting and avoiding sin. In other words, it's kind of like what we just studied in Galatians, remember? Paul said, you now have freedom in Christ. You now have liberty in Christ. You don't have to be circumcised. You don't have to worry about keeping the law. As long as you're walking in the Spirit, your sins will be forgiven. We have freedom. We have a rest in Christ. Kind of like what he's saying, right? He's saying that very similar to Paul. And one other thing I wanted, actually a couple other things I want to point out from Justin. And in another apology that he did, is Apology 1.67, which I didn't look up what book or whatever that comes from, but one thing he did say was, and on the day that is called Sunday, all who live in the cities or in rural areas gather together in a place and memoirs of the apostles and writings of the prophets are read for as long as time allows. This is Justin from the first, or actually second century, describing how the Christians were meeting. Interesting, right? Justin goes on to say that the Sabbath observance as a day of rest and worship has been replaced by what he calls the eighth day. It's possible for us to show how the eighth day possessed a certain mysterious import, he says, which the seventh day did and uh, did not possess, and which was promulgated by God through these rites. But lest I appear now to diverge to other subjects, understand what I say. The blood of that circumcision is obsolete. He even is comparing it to the circumcision. And we trust in the blood of salvation. This is now another covenant, another law that has gone forth from Zion. All right, so he talks about this eighth day. What's he getting at? Why is he calling it the eighth day? Well, let's turn over to Genesis and look at chapter 17. Read something there. <coughs> you might keep a finger in Exodus 20, or Exodus, we'll be going back to that. <coughs> Genesis 17. 
I want to read, this is not in your outline, by the way. This is extra crispy, all right? Genesis 17, and beginning in verse, uh, verse 9. And God said to Abraham, As for you, you shall keep my covenant, you and your descendants, after you throughout their generations. This is my covenant which you shall keep between me and you and your descendants after you. Every male child among you shall be circumcised. And you shall be circumcised in the flesh of your foreskins, and it shall be a sign of the covenant between me and you. Notice what he said there. And it shall be a sign of the covenant between me and you. This is circumcision he's talking about. He who is eight days old among you shall be circumcised. Every male child in your generation, as he who was born in your house or bought with money from any foreigner who is not your descendant, he who was born in your house and he who was bought with your money must be circumcised. And my covenant shall be in your flesh for an everlasting covenant. And the uncircumcised male child who is not circumcised in the flesh of foreskin, that person shall be cut off from his people. He has broken my covenant. Couple things I want you to notice there. First, who is the covenant between? Who's the circum covenant? Who who is the sign between here? God and Abraham. The Israelites eventually, right? His people. He even talks about foreigners coming in, right? This is not for, this is not a command that's universal. It was strictly for the Jews, and and we know that, right? We we study that in the New Testament. There's plenty of writing from Paul and other apostles dealing with circumcision. <coughs> I want you to notice something else there. On the eighth day, it was to be done. Interesting, right? That sign was to be carried out on the eighth day. Why? Well, we know, medically speaking, that's when vitamin K and I, th I think what's it called? Some of you prothrombin, some of you nurses may know exactly what it is. That's when at their highest level after the birth of a boy, baby boy. And so that allowed the blood to uh, clot, I guess, coagulate uh, after eight days. Today, that's circumcision is done before a baby leaves the hospital, right? But we can now administer vitamin K to a baby. You know, they get a shot, you know, like I was when I was watching them do it, just cringing every time they stuck a needle in my baby's foot or in her rear end. Couldn't believe they were doing that to her. But that's why they're doing it. Not to the girls necessarily, they're doing it but the boys, to give them that vitamin K so they can go ahead and circumcise so the blood will clot. There was a medical reason for it, but it's also part of that sign. And that's what Justin is getting at here. He says, furthermore, this is in chapter 41 of another apology, he says, furthermore, the command to circumcise, requiring that children are always to be circumcised on the eighth day, was a type of the true circumcision by which we are circumcised on the eighth day was a type of the true circumcision by which we were circumcised from error and iniquity through our Lord Jesus Christ, who rose from the dead on the first day after the Sabbath. This day, the day that is the first day of the week, is called the eighth day according to the cycle of all the days of the week, and yet it remains the first day. For just as the Sabbath and circumcision commands of the Old Covenant served as a typological forerunner that, that had now been fulfilled, by Christ. The eight-day circumcision of Jewish boys has been replaced by circumcision of Christ on the cross. The eighth day, or Sunday, the corporate worship and the gathering now stands as a weekly reminder of Christ's resurrection on that eighth day. All right. 
Now, again, don't get me wrong. I'm not trying to say Justin was inspired. He should be in the canon of Scripture or anything. But I'm showing you the thought process that he had that some of the early Christians would have had of talking about why they met on Sundays. They worshiped on Sundays. And why that circumcision had been replaced by crucifixion of Christ on the cross. Interesting concepts, right? Interesting how he referred to it as that eighth day in correlation to circumcision being done on the eighth day. All right. <coughs> Told you all that. And now we're going to tell you all this. All right. Genesis 2 3. Let's get back to that. <coughs> it's interesting that two, Genesis 2 3. Would be, uh, would be talking about the blessing of the Sabbath day if the command had not been given, right? And if you go back and read that again, you'll see it's not a command. It's simply a statement by the writer of Genesis who was whom? Moses. Right? Moses wrote that, saying that God blessed the seventh day. So some scholars call that a prolepsis, a preface intended to anticipate and answer a objection to an argument. In other words, why do we have to keep the Sabbath? Perhaps they're saying that Moses inserted that at Gen in that part of the chronology of things when he wrote Genesis. When did he write Genesis? Well, when he was alive, right? After the law had been given. After the command had been given. So perhaps Moses is simply saying, back there when he rested, he blessed it, but that was not a command given until the, until the Ten Commandments. That's what some scholars would say and believe. I don't know that that's true. I mean, I, I, obviously I think God blessed the seventh day when he rested at that time. But I know there is no command to keep the Sabbath and keep it holy until we get to the Ten Commandments. So, in fact, I want to read... Something else from the outline there. Um, and you have this on the second page. It says, these words may be read in parentheses. They're containing an account of a fact that was done, not at the beginning of the world and on the first day of it, but what had been done in the times of Moses, who wrote this after giving of the law of the Sabbath. And this being given through his hands to the people of Israel, he takes his opportunity here to insert it and very pertinently seeing the reason why God then in the time of Moses blessed the Sabbath day and hallowed it was because he had rested on that day from all his works. Exodus 20 and 11 and the same reason is, Exodus 20 and 11 and the same reason is given here, taken plainly out of, which, out of that law which he had delivered to them. In other words, some scholars would say he, he wrote in Exodus 20 and 11 the same basic scripture that is in Genesis 2 verse 3. Now, obviously Moses wrote it, whether he's trying to make the point that this is something that occurred later or whatever. I don't know. I think God blessed it on the seventh day, but there was no command given to those patriarchs. Moving on. Turn over to Exodus chapter 16 there. <clears throat> so I want to read this whole chapter. Yeah, so bear with me. It's, uh, well, I don't know if I'll read the whole chapter, but I want to begin at verse 1. And I want you to understand when this occurred, what was commanded, and so forth. Exodus chapter 16 and verse 1. Notice when this occurs. And they journeyed from Elam, and all the congregation of the children of Israel came to the wilderness of Sin, 
which is between Elam and Sinai. All right? So the Israelites are between Elam and Sinai. What occurred at Sinai? That's when the Ten Commandments were given. Therefore, this is right after they have left Egypt. They have not gone to Mount Sinai yet. Okay? Uh, Which is between Elam and Sinai on the 15th day of the second month after they departed from the land of Egypt. Then the whole congregation of the children of Israel complained against Moses and Aaron in the wilderness. You ever get the idea of Moses had a thick skin? (laughs) Anyways, and the children of Israel said to them, Oh, that we had died by the hand of the Lord in the land of Egypt when we sat by the pots of meat and when we ate bread to the full. For you brought us out in the wilderness to kill this whole assembly with hunger. Now here's the people. They've been in captivity for 400 years. And they get out. Moses leads them out. Well, God, really. And what do they do? They just complain. Unbelievable. Then the Lord said to Moses, Behold, I will rain bread from heaven for you. And the people should go out and gather a certain quota every day, that I may test them whether they will walk in my will or walk in my law or not. God says, I'm going to give these folks a test. Yeah, I'll give them some food, but I'm also going to test them. And it shall be on the sixth day that they shall prepare what they bring in, and it shall be twice as much as they gather daily. Oh, interesting. Why is that? Then Moses and Aaron sat, said to all the children of Israel, At evening you shall know that the Lord has brought you out of the land of Egypt. And in the morning you shall see the glory of the Lord, for he hears your complaints against the Lord. But what are we, that you complain against us? Also Moses said, This shall be seen when the Lord gives you meat to eat in the evening and in the morning bread to the full. For the Lord hears your complaints which you make against him. And what are we? Your complaints are not against us, but against the Lord. Then Moses spoke to Aaron. Say to all the congregation of the children of Israel, Come near before the Lord, for he has heard your complaints. Now it came to pass, as Aaron spoke to the whole congregation of the children of Israel, that they looked toward the wilderness, and behold, the glory of the Lord appeared in the cloud. And the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, I have heard the complaints of the children of Israel. Speak to them, saying, At twilight you shall eat meat, and in the morning you shall be filled with bread, and you shall know that I am the Lord your God. So it was that quails came up at evening, and covered the camp and in the morning the dew lay all around the camp and when the layer of dew lifted there on the surface of the wilderness was a small round substance as fine as frost on the ground so when the children saw it Israel saw it they said to one another what is it for they did not know what it was Moses said to them this is the bread which the Lord has given to you to eat this is the thing which the Lord has commanded let every man gather according to each one's need one omer for each person which is I read, looked that up. That's about four pounds. Uh, one thing said it's about 43, equivalent of 43 chicken eggs. So there you go. According to the number of persons, let every man take for those who are in his tent. So one omer per person. Then the children of Israel did so and gathered, some more, some less. So when they pre- measured it by omers, he who gathered much had nothing left over. And he who gathered little had no lack. Every man had gathered according to each one's need. And Moses said, let no one leave any of it till morning. In other words, eat everything on your plate. Notwithstanding, get this, notwithstanding, they did not heed Moses, but some of them left part of it until morning, and it bred worms and stink. 
said, that's why your mama used to tell you to eat everything on your plate. Because it's going to get worms to stink. Well, Moses was angry with them, obviously. So they gathered it every morning, every man according to his need, and went when the sun became hot and melted. So it was on the sixth day that they gathered twice as much bread, two omers for each one. And all the rulers in the congregation came and told Moses. And then he said to them, this is what the Lord has said. Tomorrow is a Sabbath rest, a holy Sabbath to the Lord. Bake what you will bake today and boil what you will boil and lay up for yourselves all that remains to be kept until morning. So they laid it up till morning as Moses commanded and it did not stink. Interesting. Something was going on there. Nor were there any worms in it. Then Moses said, eat that today for today is a Sabbath to the Lord. Today you will not find it in the field. Six days you shall gather it, but on the seventh day, the Sabbath, there will be none. Notice verse 27. Now it happened that some of the people went out on the seventh day together, but they found none. It don't matter how many times you tell these people, they don't hear it. Sorry, I had to get that out. I've been dealing with that in my work a lot in the last few months. Tell people over and over, and they still ping and say, how did I do that? Where did I find that document? I told you six months ago. Anyways, I digress. All right, where was I? <clears throat> 27. Now it happened that some of the people went out on the seventh day together, but they found none. I want you to pay attention to that. If they had been commanded to keep the Sabbath, wouldn't they have already known not to go out on the seventh day? So perhaps this is the first time they're hearing about this. And some, of course, still didn't get it. Pay attention to that. Verse 28, And the Lord said to Moses, How long do you refuse to keep my commandments and my laws? See, for the Lord has given you the Sabbath. Therefore he gives you on the sixth day bread for two days. Let every man remain in his place. Let no man go out of his place on the seventh day. So the people rested on the seventh day. And the house of Israel called its name manna. And it was like white coriander seed, and the taste of it was like wafers made with honey. Then Moses said, This is the thing which the Lord has commanded. Fill an armor with it to be kept for your generations, that they may see the bread with which I fed you in the wilderness when I brought you out of the land of Egypt. And Moses said there, And take a pot and put an omer of manna in it, and lay it up before the Lord to be kept for your generations. So the Lord commanded Moses. So Aaron laid it up before the testimony to be kept. And the children of Israel ate manna 40 years until they came to an inhabited land. They ate manna until they came to the border of the land of Canaan. Now an omer is one-tenth of an ephah. And as you know, a piece of manna was kept in the Holy of Holies in the temple, remember? Until the uh, Israelites were taken into captivity. So a few things I want you to notice here. This is the first time the Sabbath is mentioned in regards to Israel, in regards to when they go out and collect the manna. Right? They're told to take extra on the sixth day and rest on the seventh. This is shortly after the exodus from Israel. I want to make that point again. When God actually blessed and sanctified that seventh day of rest. Now, what scholars will tell you is this is when that was actually occurred. Not at Genesis 2 and 3 where Moses inserted it. But now God is actually doing the blessing of that seventh day. I don't know that for sure but it is an interesting concept to think about. Point being, that still 
was not a command until we get to Genesis, uh, Exodus 16. Something else I want you to notice. Turn over to Nehemiah. And we're going to read the passage from there. <coughs> Nehemiah chapter 9. And I want you to pay attention to what is said here. Of course, Nehemiah uh, was uh, rebuilding the wall in Jerusalem. Ezra had come back from captivity. Uh, the, the temple had been, be, been rebuilt. Nehemiah is now rebuilding the temple, rebuilding the wall around Jerusalem. And the Israelites are trying to get back to the practices of, of Judaism, of, of practicing and, and reading of the law, and reading of the remembrances and so forth. Beginning, let's go to chapter 9, verse 1. Now on the 24th day of this month, the children of Israel were assembled with fasting and sackcloth and with dust on their heads. Then those of Israelite lineage separated themselves from all foreigners, and they stood and confessed their sins and the iniquities of their fathers. And they stood up in their place and read the book of the law of the Lord their God for one-fourth of the day. And for another fourth, they confessed and worshipped the Lord their God. Then Jeshua, Bani, Kadmiel, Shebaniah, Buni, Sherebiah, Bani, and Chennai, I think I got those right. Stood on the stairs of the Levites and cried out with a loud voice to the Lord their God. And the Levites, Yeshua, uh, you know the guys, said, Stand up and bless the Lord your God forever and ever. Blessed be your glorious name, which is exalted above all blessing and praise. You alone are the Lord. You have made heaven, the heaven of heavens with all their hosts, the earth and everything in it, the seas and all that is in them, and you preserve them all. The host of heaven worships you. You are the Lord who chose Abram. And brought him out of the Ur of Chaldeans and gave him the name Abraham. You found his heart faithful before you and made a covenant with him to give the land of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Jebusites, and the Gergesites to give it to his descendants. You performed your words, for you are righteous. You saw the affliction of your fathers in Egypt and heard their cry by the Red Sea. You showed signs and wonders against Pharaoh, against all his servants, and against all the people of his land, for you knew that they acted proudly against you. So you made a name for yourself as it is this day. And you divided the sea before them so that they went through the midst of the sea on the dry land and their persecutors you threw them you threw into the deep as a stone into the mighty waters. Moreover you led them by day with a cloudy pillar and by night with a pillar of fire to give them light on the road which, you sh which they should travel. You came down also on Mount Sinai and spoke with them from heaven and gave them just ordinances and true law, good statutes and commandments. I wanted to read all that to show you how the Israelites under Nehemiah remembered the history, remembered the order, chronological order of how things occurred. Verse 14, you made known to them your holy Sabbath and commanded them precepts, statutes, and laws by the hand of Moses, your servant. You see, up until Mount Sinai, they had no idea about a Sabbath. It wasn't until then. They didn't understand what that was. They were commanded there not to pick up manna on the seventh day, but until they saw the commands, they didn't know what that was. Go back. I wanted to point that out. It was commanded of the Israelites, and it was codified in the law of Moses. If you go back to Exodus 20, we read that in the Ten Commandments, right? The basis for the Sabbath is explained. Let's just go back and read it one more time. Exodus 20. <coughs> Beginning in verse 8, he says, Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work. But the seventh day is the Sabbath of the Lord your God. In it you shall do no work. 
you know your son, nor your daughter, nor your male servant, nor your female servant, nor your cattle, nor your stranger who is within your gates. For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea, and all that is in them, and rested the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath and hallowed it. Same verses we see in Genesis 2 and 3. He blessed it on that seventh day. We're running out of time here. I'm trying to get through this last little part here. The Sabbath then becomes a sign. Turn over to Exodus chapter 31. Let's see what it said there. Exodus chapter 31. <clears throat> Beginning verse 12. And the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak also to the children of Israel, saying, Surely my Sabbaths you shall keep. For it is a sign between me and you throughout your generations that you know that I am the Lord who sanctifies you. Where did we just read that? Genesis 17, right? When we're talking about the circumcision law, the sign of the circumcision, right? Between him and the Israelites. Interesting. Therefore, the children of Israel shall keep the Sabbath to observe the Sabbath throughout their generations as a perpetual covenant. It is a sign between me and the children of Israel forever. For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, and on the seventh day he rested and was refreshed. That sign is between God and Israel. If you take the scripture literally, it does not apply universally. Right? Just like the early writers are saying. Turn over to Deuteronomy chapter 5 and read this verse real quick kind of enforce that, reinforce that. <clears throat> verse, uh, Deuteronomy 5 and verse 15, he says, And remember that you were a slave in the land of Egypt, and the Lord God, your God, brought you out from there by a mighty hand, by an outstretched arm. Therefore the Lord your God commanded you to keep the Sabbath day. He did it because they'd been delivered from slavery. Therefore, they were his people. They were to rest on that seventh day. But like circumcision, this became a sign to the children of Israel. <coughs> um, last point here, I'm trying to get through this. This was never commanded of the Gentiles, okay? All the commands regarding the Sabbath are directed toward Israel, no other nation. The exception that I just read in verse 20 was the stranger within the gate. What's he referring to there? Someone who had come into Jerusalem on the Sabbath. They were to rest, even if they were not an Israelite. That's the only point he made out of someone outside of Israel. Uh, the exception was to prevent being influenced to disobey. Real quickly, man, I know we're running out of time. Go back to Nehemiah there. I want to read one passage real quick. Chapter 13. and verse uh, 15. This is Nehemiah talking about what occur, what to do on the Sabbath when others are in the gate. Verse, uh, verse 10, he said, Also realized that the portions of the Levites had not been given them, for each of the Levites and the singers who did the work had gone back to his field. So I contended with the rulers and said, Why is the house of God forsaken? And I gathered them together and set them in their place. And all 
Judah threw, brought the tithe of the grain and the new wine and the oil to the storehouse. And I pointed his treasures in the storehouse, Shilamah the priest, and Zadok the scribe, and the Leite. And next to them was Hanan, the son of Zephur, the son of Mataniah. For they were considered faithful, and their task was distributed to their children. Remember, O God, O my God, concerning this, and do not wipe out my good deeds that I have done for the house of God and the service. In those days I saw people in Judah treading wine presses on the Sabbath and bringing in sheaves and loading donkeys with wine, grapes, figs, and all kinds of burdens, which they brought in Jerusalem on the Sabbath day. And I warned them about the day on which they were selling provisions. Men of Tyre dwelt there also and brought in fish and kinds of goods and sold them on the Sabbath to the children of Judah and in Jerusalem. Then I contended with the nobles of Judah and said to them, What evil thing is this that you do by which you profane the Sabbath? Did not your fathers do this, and did not God bring all this disaster on us, on the city? Yet you bring added wrath on Israel by profaning the Sabbath. So it was that the gates of Jerusalem as began to be dark before the Sabbath that I commanded the gates to be shut and charged that they must not be opened till after the Sabbath. Then I posted some of my servants at the gates so that no burdens would be brought in on the Sabbath. Now the merchants and sellers of all kinds of wares lodged outside Jerusalem once or twice. And then I warned them, and I said to them, Why do you spend the night around the wall? If you do so again, I will lay my hands on you. And from that time on, they came no more on the Sabbath. Point being, the Sabbath was sacred to the Israelites. Anyone within the gates was to observe it, but outside, not commanded. Wanted to make that point. All right, that's all we got for today. Next, bring your outlines back with you, and we'll get into the New Testament, what it says about the Sabbath, and some other stuff about church history and so forth. All right, thanks for being here.